Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And now verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word and for all that you teach us through it. It's your word, it's truth, inspired by you. Father, even these brief verses this morning have so much to teach us about who you are, what you've done for us, and who it is that we need to be. So as always, Lord, we submit ourselves to the authority of your word and we ask for the power of your spirit to join the truth of our word of your word, and bring change in our lives. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You'll be seated. We are going to spend this Advent season with Matthew and his gospel. If you're here in the spring, you know we did something similar as we prepared for Easter. We just let Mark tell us the story of the last week of Jesus' life, the week that changed the world. And that was helpful to spend time in that one book. Because Mark, like any other author, had a purpose for what he wrote. There were certain things that he wanted his readers to to know and understand about Jesus. Certain truths that he wanted them to apply to their lives. Certain changes that he wanted to take place as a result of reading his story. Those purposes were, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God. Mark opened himself up to the leading and the guiding of the Spirit as he wrote. And so he came up with the Word of God. The same can be said about Matthew as he took his pen in hand to tell his story of Jesus. And like Mark, Matthew wanted the reader to see Jesus in a certain way, to believe certain truths about Jesus and to be changed in specific ways, as a result of reading his story. And when you think about it, you and I are the same way in our lives. Though we are not inspired in the same way, our words aren't as authoritative. But when you and I tell others about Jesus, we have certain hopes for the story we tell. As we've experienced Jesus as our Savior, our hope, when we tell the story, is that others will experience him as their Savior. Perhaps we've experienced Jesus as a healer. And so that becomes the story we tell, and we have the hope that others will experience Jesus as their healer. Perhaps we've known Jesus to be a great comforter in our lives. And so that's the focus and the hope of our story, that that those to whom we tell it will have and experience Jesus as a comforter in their life. And on and on we could go. And so it is as we come to Matthew's story. What is his great hope? As people hear and read the story he tells. Well, of course, Matthew has more than one hope. But there's one hope. One overarching goal that we see from the beginning of Matthew throughout the book and to its very end. And that goal is this, that people will see and know Christ as the great fulfiller. That fulfillment is found only in Christ. That's how Matthew 
had experienced Jesus in his life as his great fulfiller. And so I need, we need to see that this is true before we begin unpacking the specifics of verse 1. In Matthew, we read what are referred to as formula quotations. When he wrote his gospel, Matthew uses the same quote over and over again in a formulaic way so that he can make this point that Jesus fulfills everything. So if you look down in verse 22 of chapter 1, you'll see the first of these formula quotations. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now look in chapter 2, verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Chapter 2, verse 17. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Then chapter 2, verse 23. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. Chapter 4, verse 14. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 8, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 12, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 21, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Matthew 27, verse 9. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. Get it? (laughs) Formula quotations. In addition to these, Matthew quotes many, many more direct quotes from the Old Testament. But these formula quotations, nine of them are only found in the Gospel of Matthew because this is how Matthew has experienced Jesus as the great fulfiller. And so we ask, why then did the prophets speak? Well, they spoke to communicate truth about God. They spoke to communicate to God's people truth about how to live their lives. Sometimes the prophets spoke words of encouragement like these, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Encouraging words like these, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes the prophets spoke words of instruction. Familiar with those? Sometimes their words were words of correction or rebuke or judgment. But the point is, all of the words of the prophet find their fulfillment in Christ. He is the ultimate expression of the compassion and grace of the Lord, and of His abounding love. Jesus is the ultimate expression that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us because He is Emmanuel, right? God with us. In Jesus, the truth of God, and the living Word of God, we receive instruction for how it is we are to live our lives. And on the cross, Jesus experienced the ultimate judgment of God where God's wrath against sin was fully satisfied. And so Matthew is determined in his gospel to show all of us that fullness is found only in Jesus. And so the word that Matthew uses for fulfill means, not surprisingly, to make full. 
And the implication there is that something is missing. And I had that experience myself. Every time I open a box of cereal or a bag of chips, I open the bag and I say, hmm, something is missing here. This bag is not very fulfilled because there is room for so much more. And so it is with life without Christ. Something is missing. And there's so much more. But more specifically, Matthew uses the word to mean to bring to a designed end. And so we understand that throughout human history, there has been a plan. There's been a grand design. All that happened before in human history was moving toward this moment in time. One that scripture calls the fullness of time. The same word when Jesus would be born and Jesus would complete the plan. He would finish it. So here's Matthew. And he's got this blank papyrus in front of him. And he's got a quill in his hand and he hits the ground running. Because this is his purpose. This is what he wants to show us. And as I picture Matthew writing, I think of those two disciples that were walking to Emmaus on the the day Jesus was resurrected. Do you remember the story? They're walking along and Jesus comes up beside them. But they don't recognize who he is. But Jesus begins to speak to them. And then Jesus begins to teach them. And Scripture says that beginning with, the, with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Everything Jesus showed them found its completion in them. And those two disciples, that same night after Jesus left them, looked at each other and said, Didn't our hearts burn within us on the road when he explained the Scriptures to us? So great. And so Matthew, his heart is burning as he begins to write his story. And he wants our hearts to burn with the same reality. So chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This verse, verse 1, is a caption. It's a heading for this section of Matthew's gospel. Many scholars believe that this verse that I've just read is actually the title for the entire gospel. Because you know when it was written, it didn't look like our Bible with Matthew across the top. There was no Matthew. And so they believe that this was the title for the entire gospel. Now that becomes interesting, I hope. Are you interested? Please say yes. When we look at the Greek word that Matthew uses for genealogy in verse 1. It's a word that's familiar to us. It was familiar to the readers in Matthew's day. The word is Genesis. The exact same word we use for the first book of the Bible. The book that begins like this. In the beginning, Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And since Matthew knows that Jesus fulfills everything, why would he not title his story about Jesus in this way? Matthew knows that the genealogy of Jesus, the beginning of Jesus on earth, is a new beginning. Matthew knows that Jesus makes new creation possible. Why would the reader of this story care about new creation? Well, it's because we cannot think of Genesis and the Garden of Eden 
and all that God created without also thinking about everything that was lost when sin entered the world. You and I can't begin to understand what was lost and how everything changed. Nothing was the same. New realities entered the life of Adam and Eve like fear. You know, if Adam had been on Jeopardy, you know the game show Jeopardy, before sin entered the world. And Alex Trebek said, okay, here's final Jeopardy. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, or pain. Well, the music could have played. Ten times the music could have played. And still Adam's slate would have been empty because Adam would never have come with, up with Alex. What is fear? Right? Because Adam had no concept of fear. But now fear is a new reality. The same thing would have been true if Final Jeopardy had been this. To conceal from sight, to prevent from being seen or discovered. Da, 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 da. Ten times the music could have played and Adam's slate would have still been blank because he would never have come up with Alex. What is to hide? Because Adam had no concept of hiding or fear. What was there to fear in the garden or to hide from? Not the night. Not the wild animals of the night, for they did not exist. Not God, because God was not scary to Adam and Eve. They walked with him and talked with him in the cool of the day. But instinctually, after sin, Adam and Eve hid. And fear and hiding was their new reality. The same would have been true if final jeopardy had been things you place over your body to cover yourself. Dum, 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 dum. Ten times it could have gone and Adam's slate would still have been blank because he would have never come up with the response. Alex, what are clothes? Because Adam didn't know what they were. He had been free from the knowledge of shame, of nakedness, and free from the constriction and the restriction of clothes. But after sin, nakedness is another new reality. And all this is the testimony of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. How many times did Adam and Eve say to themselves or to each other or think, I want it all back the way it was. I don't want to look at you like I look at you now. I don't want to look at myself the way I look at myself now. I don't want to look at God the way I I look at Him now. I don't want to hide from Him. I don't want to fear Him. I just want to walk with Him and talk with Him in the coolness of the day. But that part of creation was destroyed by sin. And over time, the negative changes only progressed. Slowly, the earth began to show signs of the, the, the hopelessness that sin introduced. And weeds and thorns began to choke out and kill what Adam had only known and enjoyed as this lush, beautiful, bountiful garden. All he had to do was kind of take care of it. Now Adam could only get food by painful toil and the sweat of his brow. Eve experienced the pain of childbirth when Cain was born. And things only got worse when human death entered into the world. Cain 
their oldest child, killed Abel, their youngest. They had never seen a lifeless human body before. They'd never seen a body that didn't have breath in it or animation in it. But now, death is their new reality. But in the midst of all of it, there was this flicker of hope, this little shaft of light. God said at the time of their sin, to, the, to Satan through whom sin had entered the world, the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so with this word Genesis, wow, we think of the beginning of creation, but also what was lost and then what was promised. And so when Matthew uses the word, we get to think of new creation and new hope. And this flicker of hope and a vague promise is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's good news. And so we move on in chapter 1, verse 1. And we see that Matthew continues to press this point of fulfillment in Jesus because he says here that Jesus is the Christ, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I know you know this, but Christ is not a name, right? It's not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title, and it simply means the anointed one. And Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. And this is the only time for certain that Matthew puts the two words together, Jesus Christ, here in the title of his gospel. Because Matthew intends for us to know from the beginning that Jesus is the Messiah, the one for whom the Jews had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, we don't have time this morning to talk about how their concept of Messiah was not God's concept of Messiah, or how what they wanted from Messiah is is not what God knew they needed from Messiah. It's just enough to say that here again, Matthew sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise. The dream is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. So we continue in verse 1 and find more fulfillment. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. We know David he is the, absolutely the greatest king in the history of Israel. David, the one to whom God made this promise. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's God's promise to David. The one about whom Isaiah prophesied. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Matthew keeps pressing the point. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. Jesus, the son of David. What was first a promise and then an unfulfilled dream for David and his children after him. It's now a reality in Christ. He is the forever reigning king. He fulfills everything in every way. Keep moving. Chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew keeps pressing the point. A record 
of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know Abraham, right? He's the father of the Jewish people, the covenant people of God. Abraham is the one to whom God made this promise. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus is the son of Abraham. Everything is fulfilled in him through Jesus. All of the earth is blessed. It's good news, right? Amen. And it's true. So what was first a promise, then an unfulfilled dream for Abraham and his children, is now a reality in Christ. Now let's move away from verse 1. And we see that Matthew keeps pressing the same point, fulfillment in Jesus, in the way he lists the generations from which Jesus came. Now you can pay me later for not reading all these names. <laughs> that makes you happy, doesn't it? makes me really happy. All the names in verses 2 through 17. But he writes all of these names in three sets of 14. Look at verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Okay, so rare is the biblical scholar that does not see something really intentional here in the way Matthew groups these names and in the way that Matthew records this genealogy because numbers were very important to the Jewish people. Numbers represented truth to them. So follow along. You ready to follow along? We're going to get through this. This is not me. This is almost every commentator you can read. But here we go. We're going to get through this. You ready? Three sets of 14 is six sets of seven, right? Three groups of 14 is six groups of seven. The sum of seven is three plus four. Other way around. Three, yeah, right, yeah, right. Seven is the sum of three plus four. Okay, now follow along. In Scripture, the number three, when used symbolically, is something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so it carries the idea of completion. God is three, right? Three and one. Scripture proclaims Him three times holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because God is complete and perfect in His holiness. Then we come to the number four. In Scripture, it refers to the fullness of earth and the heavens with their four winds. There is completeness. So three plus four equals seven. And that number in Scripture, as you know, is also a number of completion. Not only for the ancient Hebrews, but for the Egyptians and the Greeks as well. So we know the story. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And the seventh day, he rested for everything was complete. Complete in the number seven. So, three sets of 14 is six... Are y'all following all this? 
All right, so, so, so three sets of 14 is six sets of seven, which means the way is open for the seventh set of seven. And if seven signifies completeness, then seven and seven represents double completeness and perfect fulfillment in Christ. Isn't that great? Yay! Woo, Jesus! Now let me take you back to Deuteronomy. You knew I was going to get Deuteronomy in here somewhere this morning. But in our study of Deuteronomy, we talked about the sabbatical year, right? It comes every seven years. In the seventh year, God told his people to rest. And he said, give the land a rest as well. Let the ground lie fallow. And so in the seventh year, there was rest and there was rejuvenation. After seven sets of seven, God called for the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. And you remember that in that year, all land was to revert to its original owner. And all debts were to be canceled. And all slaves were to be set free. So, if Christ's birth begins the seventh set of seven, so his death brings it to completion. And by his death, our debt is canceled, right? And those who were slaves to sin are set free, right? And in Christ, we are renewed and we are rejuvenated. And so Matthew is so excited that Jesus fulfills everything in every way and therefore changes everything. And so Matthew, the more he ponders Jesus, years and years and years after Jesus' death, the more Matthew can say, see, see, look, look here and here and here. All of these ways, Jesus fulfills everything. That is his message. And his new world view is clear. And here's Matthew's worldview. Everything has to be interpreted or reinterpreted through the reality of Jesus. And we do that all the time with whatever we know to be true. When it was discovered that the world was round and not flat, everything had to be reinterpreted, right? Even the past. Oh, we have to reinterpret the past now in light of this new truth. The world is round. And so it changed the present as well. Particularly navigation. Hey, we're not going to sail off the end of the, uh, uh, of, of the earth. It also impacted what was yet to come. So Matthew knows this to be true about Jesus. He is the truth through which all of life must be filtered and interpreted. This is his message to his readers. And who were they? If I said to you, well, Matthew wrote primarily to the Jews, which he did. Okay, kind of interesting, kind of not, let's move on. But if I describe them this way, if I said that Matthew wrote to the unfulfilled, then maybe that would get our attention. Because I think at least in some ways here, most of us in this room, there's some part in our lives in which we feel unfulfilled. Hopes, dreams, whatever. And that's who these people were, to whom Matthew wrote. They were unfulfilled people. After all, as far as Scripture is concerned, Matthew breaks a 400-year silence from God. Malachi ends the Old Testament for 400 years. There was no prophet. There was no message from heaven. So Matthew was writing to people who were living in a long, unbroken, silent unfulfillment. 
And whether that unfulfillment is because they had given up hope or because they had abandoned a dream or because they were still frantically looking for fulfillment somewhere else and couldn't find it, they were unfulfilled people. And so Matthew's gospel is for them. And Matthew's gospel is for you and for me in as much as this description fits us. People who are unfulfilled. People who have given up on hope. People who have abandoned dreams. People who are still desperately searching for something and we just can't find fulfillment. So are we hearing what Matthew is saying? We have to find our fulfillment in Christ. He's the one who, fulfill, who fills the unfulfilled ones. And Matthew was one of them. A tax collector. You know his story. And if he was anything like the other famous tax collector we know in Scripture, Zacchaeus, then Matthew too was a man of tremendous wealth. But it appears that Matthew's job and that Matthew's wealth had not brought him fulfillment. Because as soon as Jesus comes up to his tax collector booth and says to Matthew, follow me. Matthew got up and followed Jesus, didn't he? In that very moment. And he never looked back again. And why should he? Matthew had discovered all that he needed in Jesus. And Matthew found fulfillment in loving Jesus and being loved by him. Matthew found fulfillment in living for Jesus and in serving him. And so now this previously unfulfilled one becomes fulfilled in Christ. And he writes to you and to me. And his Christmas message to us is about the fulfillment that God offers to us. That he gifts to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this Advent season that begins today should truly become a time of longing and expectancy for you and for me. Not that we try to pretend that Jesus hasn't been born yet. So that on December 25th, we can say, surprise, Jesus is born. No, Advent, the Christmas season, should be marked by a longing. And each one of us, Lord, I want to find my fulfillment in Christ and nothing else. It should be a season of expectation that Jesus can and will complete us, broken though we are, And we are broken people. Abandon him, though we do, too often. This is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in this wonderful, beautiful, powerful name, those who are incomplete can be made whole as Christ fulfills us. Let's believe that promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask this morning that through the power of your Spirit, we would get the message that you speak to us. Through the word you inspired, there Matthew sat, and as he wrote, you guided his pen and his thoughts. 
so that over and over and over again, Matthew could write that what was promised found its fulfillment in Jesus, without doubt. So Father, we pray simply this morning that you would help us find our fulfillment in Jesus. That you would enable us, Lord, to stop looking to other things or other people to fulfill us. Father, that we would get our dreams that we have for our lives, our hope that we have for our lives in line with the truth of your word and the life to which you call us, which is loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and serving you and obeying you. Father, get our lives in line with that call that you place on our lives. And in that, Lord, may we find our fullness and completeness and deepest satisfaction. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.